This episode of EM Weekly has been archived. The ideas presented by the former host of EM Weekly may not reflect or represent the values of the Readiness Lab and the Doberman Emergency Management Group. Out of respect for the guests who contributed to this episode, it remains available online. EM Weekly starting right now, bringing emergency managers from around the world together to learn, share and collaborate. Good morning, good morning, or good afternoon, depending on where you are. And today we are without Dan Scott because he's out celebrating his daughter's birthday. So happy birthday to Dan Scott's daughter today. And uh, we'll, we'll, we'll trudge on without him. Uh, I think it's, uh, it'll be great. So today, what are we talking about? So we're talking about project management. And it's kind of interesting. We've been having some longer conversations realistically about what skills and competencies emergency managers should have. And realistically, the concept of having project management skills um, it should be in there. And I actually believe that we should start add, adding project management courses um, to the core courses that we teach um, for emergency management. Because at the end of the day, um, what we do is, is project management, right? Especially when we're, we even call them projects, right? When we're talking about our FEMA reimbursements. So... I have a great guest with me today, and Andrew, um, he established the uh, Pinnacle Performance Management uh, and some Emergency Management in uh, Business Continuity uh, Consultant Agency based in the New York, New Jersey metropolitan area, and he's also an associate professor um, in Project Management, Business Continuity, and Emergency Management at NYU, John Jay College. So, Andrew, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Todd. It's great to be with you. Absolutely. And so we've had conversations in the past specifically about project management. And, and so I know that we're on the, on the same page when it comes to it. But why should emergency managers embrace it? If you look at uh, most grant-funded programs or mitigation programs or preparedness programs, et cetera, they all start with uh, a project and uh, an undertaking. Usually you've got to, you know, take... Um, let's say, you know, some resources and you've got to build, you know, berms or you've got to uh, develop some training for a specific agency or you've got to develop an exercise. At the start of that, at the core is really developing uh, a project plan. You've got to, uh, you know, outline what the scope is. You've got to develop some sort of schedule. Uh, and you're going to have a budget to basically purchase what you need or to allocate resources to get the job done, so to speak. So, And if you look at any of the methodologies that are out there, you look at HC, you look at some business continuity methodologies, uh, you look at uh, emergency preparedness and so forth and planning, uh, there's always some sort of chapter or section that's on project management. And one of the reasons that I think that it's important to elaborate and to describe these things is because at, at times I don't see enough detail on how to actually develop an effective project in some of those uh, sections. So, I mean, when we're putting these 
plans together, especially let's talk about uh, exercise and training, because that's a that's a huge, especially if you're doing a graded exercise uh, from FEMA. There are so many moving parts. Right. And we have people coming in, doing different things and moving out when they're done with that and and deadlines and whatnot. Um, and so you, you realistically start seeing a Gantt chart, if you will, uh, being built out. And these things could be you know super long. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, is project management just charts and graphs and, and telling people what to do or is it more to it? There's far more to it. Uh, and I think that's the interesting thing is it's not just uh, a cookie cutter approach or a cookbook approach to how to develop into execute projects. Um, you know, it, it's like any management methodology. Uh, it has to be approached with a certain level of, it's not just a science, it's an art. It's, you know, it's the interpersonal relationships. And, you know, for, I've been a project manager now for uh, close to 30 years. Uh, the thing that I find the most interesting is being able to engage with different stakeholders, individuals, uh, whether they're the client, the end user, uh, project team members, and so forth, uh, that, you know, working together to create a common goal or to create or to, to actually realize the goal is what makes it interesting and exciting. And so those interpersonal skills really become very important. I know uh, for a lot of folks out there who are listening to this, they may say, well, you know, I hear soft skills. And so, you know, yes, the soft, and, and, you know, it goes back to what I learned in, in business school, and what I sort of relearned from my experiences out in the field and continue to learn, the soft stuff is the hard stuff. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, those that, that those communication skills, uh, the emotional intelligence, those are, are things that take a long time to learn and to really get good at. There's people who have a natural ability at it, but I think that that's, that's part of it. So, you know, it's, it's um, learning how to use the methodologies and tools of project management, but using it in a way that's effective. You know, not every um, project needs, you know, the most sophisticated types of scheduling tools that are out there. Uh, You know, using a Gantt chart or, you know, critical path method, which some people may be familiar with, uh, is not always appropriate. There might be some simpler ways of doing it. For other projects that are more complex and sophisticated, there are more complex methodologies that are available, but you know, the methodology has to suit the project. Absolutely. Michael uh, chimes in and says he assigns uh, projects to many of his full-time and part-time staff. It also gives them a chance to learn uh, future uh, management for future government uh, improvement and, and advancement. Absolutely. Michael, that's, that's, that is the best thing to do is to give somebody a project and <laughs> give them the tools to manage it and see how they can learn. Now, Andrew, you know, people might be going, okay, great. You know, here is this professor dude, you know, NYU, you know, great school. Okay. He has no practical experience. He's, a, he's just a, a you know, academic. Is this true? Or do you have practical experiences to, to back you up? Oh, I would like to say that I have some practical experience uh, that packs it up. And, um, you know, to, uh, you know, to our listeners' uh, comments there, I think, you know, one of the best ways of learning is by doing. So um, as Todd mentioned, I, I teach uh, at the graduate level at uh, two universities, at, at New York University and also at the John Jay College of Criminal Justice, which is part of the City University of New York. And when I teach those classes, to the extent that I can, I try to bring real-world projects into the classroom for my students. Um, I have, I I don't know the exact number 
of projects that I've managed over my career. Uh, I'd probably say it, it numbers in the uh, probably somewhere close to 100, maybe more. I, I don't know. I've got to go back and do a count. Um, what I teach is what I practice and what I practice informs what I teach and so forth. So it sort of goes back and forth between that continuous improvement cycle. Um, and I think that, you know, uh, you know, what you learn um, in, you know, in the field um, and those better practices becomes informed, you know, let's say experiential, uh, experientially improved, empirically proved um, practices that can be carried forth, um, you know, again, back into the classroom and then back out of the field. So, a friend of mine, uh, Kyle King, over uh, from Capacity Builders, uh, he is working in war-torn countries right now. And the concepts that he is doing is bringing the principles of emergency management into rebuilding these war-torn countries. And I know you did some time um, in the uh, in, in the combat zone, if you will. What's a project management look like for something like that that's so uh, um, blown out of, out of proportion? Not proportion, but it's something that we just – it's different than a disaster. And let me let me – say one more thing and I'm going to give it back to you. Um, so Kelly Garrett, Dr. Garrett from uh, EMI in, uh, in the executive Academy, they've actually developed a week long uh, course that they're teaching now where they're going to Gettysburg. Because if you guys don't know, Emmitsburg, Maryland is mm-hmm. like 12 miles away from Gettysburg. They're going to Gettysburg and they're using the principles of emergency management and, and thinking of the battle of Gettysburg as being one large disaster. And how do you recover from it? So, that that those concepts right there. What was your experience when you were in in the combat zone using these principles to help rebuild? Well, interesting because I I I one of the things is I I didn't have a playbook when I started off. Uh, this goes back to I was uh, 24 years old, uh, so that was a, a long time ago for for me. Uh, I'll leave, leave it at that. Um, you know, more, more than half a life ago for me at least. And I was in uh, a country in the middle of the Civil War. It was 1993. I was uh, I arrived in Zagreb, Croatia, and I had to carry out a four million dollar medical assistance project for a uh, humanitarian relief organization. I, I mean, if you looked at my LinkedIn pro- profile, uh, you'd find the organization fairly quickly. And um, I had gone through a very brief training at the headquarters of three days. Not a lot on project management, not a lot on emergency management or disaster recovery, but there was a lot on grants and the rules I had to follow and, you know, just some of the basic rules of engagement, but not a lot about how to go out and carry this thing out. And I had a four-page proposal written in courier, you know, double-spaced, and it was enough to describe the generalities of what the, the, the grant was supposed to accomplish. It was... Uh, uh, the purpose of the project was to provide assistance to refugees and displaced persons in Croatia, which at the time in 1983 was a population of about a half a million people in a country that had about 5 million people total. And then I had a stack of regulatory documents that were literally on a, if you pile them on a table, were about a foot and a half high. And, you know, I was told when I called back to headquarters, well, what is one of the first things they need to do? They said, well, you know, did you read through the proposal? I said, of course, I've read it a couple of times. I said, okay, well, I said, it doesn't really tell me exactly what I'm supposed to do at this point. Said, okay, read through the regulations. 
and that'll give you an idea of what you need to do. <laughs> I read, I started reading through them and I realized that this was not going to go anywhere very fast. Um, so, you know, at that point you use your common sense. So first, what's the first thing that you need to do? You need to assess the situation. You need to figure out, you know, what is the extent of the problem? So, you know, it's very much the, what we look at is the demaic approach, right? The Six Sigma approach, define the problem, measure it, analyze, implement, and control, right? Um, and, you know, the Air Force has the OODA loop, right? You know, observe, orient, do, uh, and, you know, um, and then and then uh, act. And you've got your, or, or, or assess the situation and come back. So, you know, that's sort of very much what I went through is, you know, okay, I need to f- figure out what the extent of the situation is. So that assessment and that process was an elaborative one. I, I went through, went to the Ministry of Health and got, uh, had a meeting there. Uh, get some, got some, went to a coordinating meeting uh, organized by the World Health Organization and the various NGOs. I did a lot of field visits, visited over 100 different hospitals, medical facilities, clinics, and so forth to get a better idea and to, and to actually get lists of the actual needs that were out there, medicines, medical supplies, and so on and so forth, and uh, got an assessment of what the health situation was like, you know, firsthand. So, it was both data driven and you know and and getting the qualitative information from the field and seeing the conditions of what was going on out there and that was a period of about uh, a month concurrent with that i had to get we had to become operational there was a push to get basically you know how do we we've got to get warehouses we have to make sure that we've got the logistics you know distribution and so forth that were in place so that all happened concurrently and then we went through our first purchase, which was relatively small. So um, to, to, to really sort of get at your question, um, you're, you know, you're, you're running along multiple channels and each of these is, is informing the other. We started off, luckily started off small to test the system and to see how it worked uh, before we went larger. Because honestly, there had not been, a, I had asked, is, is there another project like this that's been out there in the world? where they've done this sort of thing? The answer I got was no. Um, and so, and then I, I realized, well, I've got to test how things are going to go. And we went through, there were, you know, when we did that first procurement, we got stuff out there. Um, we had some challenges. We learned some lessons and we incorporated that into the subsequent procurements and distributions that we did, you know, and there's a lot more to that in terms of monitoring, control, tracking those resources and reporting on a regular basis as to what was being used. But that's essentially how I went went about doing it. Years later, and I learned, you know, okay, you could have planned the project out, could have done this. There are a lot of risks and things like that you don't realize uh, until you actually start executing a project. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, I mean, as Benjamin Phillips right here, he says, you need to have boots on the ground experience. Absolutely, you need to have boots on the ground experience. Uh, but I also think that, like, taking that experience as well and and being able to uh, formulate that under theory as and and to be able to do your job um, in a, in a more efficient manner because it sounds like Andrew that you were learning you learn you learn the needs of project management in the middle of trying to do a project so yeah I, one thing I should say and I'll I'll, I'll I, I should preface um, you know to uh, Benjamin's comments there is that um, I had so I before I, that age of twenty four I had been working in Eastern Europe for. Uh, a period of time in the former Soviet Union, 
when there when there I was actually in the Soviet Union when there was a Soviet Union, and then uh, when it uh, ceased to become a Soviet Union and broke up, I was there afterwards, and uh, so I you know had some familiarity with although Yugoslavia is not the Soviet Union, for the people who are listening out there, you know different completely different part of of uh, of Eastern Europe, uh, different culture and so forth, um, you know, but linguistic, you know, uh, similarities and things like that. I did learn uh, Croatian or Serbian and, and Bosnian. There are different, uh, you know, uh, dialects. And so I, I learned those when I was on the ground there. So, I, and I had some experience working with a degree of chaos uh, and with ambiguity uh, of how to get things done. I had worked, I had managed a project in, um, in the Baltics, uh, which was a little bit, which had a little bit more guidance, was a little bit more discreet. Uh, I had worked in Odessa for a short period of time, again, before I got to, to Yugoslavia. So I was used to really negotiating my way and figuring things out. And so, you know, I used that uh, for what I needed to do. And then I also leveraged my my team, the people who my, my the the folks who live there, I listened to what they had to say. Some of which, I, you know, you have to listen with a critical ear, you know, in terms of the information you're getting, because not everything you're going to get from uh, from folks who are nationals are is going to be uh, unvar or is going to be um, the straight, you know, deal, so to speak. You're going to have to, you know, sort of figure figure out what's truth and what's not truth. So, Andrew, let's take a quick break. When we come back, I want to hear who influenced you. Sure. The Outer Limits Supply Company was founded on the idea of providing high-quality first aid kits. Their goal is to supply the life-saving equipment you'll need to mitigate the majority of injuries often seen during austere times. From minor injury on an outdoor adventure with your family to your team responding to a major traumatic event. Outer Limits Supply has the kits to manage most situations, providing practical, user-friendly first aid kits that anyone can use. Enter Ian Weekly, all capitals, at checkout and save 20% off your total purchase. Go to www.outerlimitsupply.com today. That's outerlimitsupply.com. Have you ever wanted to work in a flying ICU? LifeSave is currently hiring flight nurses and medics to join our air medical team. Check out our amazing salary and benefits packages. Visit airmethods.com careers and apply today. Power outages can happen at any time. Is your community prepared? The Power Up Solar Power Charging Trailer can be used to address the need for temporary power for your community. In addition, the Power Up Solar Power Charging Trailer can provide a platform to support your public information and community resiliency outreach efforts throughout the year to educate and inform people about the need to always be ready. For more information, visit PowerUpConnect.com. That is PowerUpConnect.com. And thank you, everybody, for listening to the sponsors. So please reach out to them and let them know you heard them here on the Ian Weekly Show because without them, we could not bring you the quality content that we do. So, Andrew, who influenced you into project management? Uh, I think I became an accidental project manager because I was assigned as a project manager. And um, 
what I like to say is I really had very little idea of what actually a professional project manager uh, was supposed to do or, or, or is, so to speak. And so you learn by doing. Um, I will say that, oh, that I was, I've been influenced over the years by uh, both my, uh, the, the people who I had as bosses who, you know, and, and also uh, a number of the teachers and colleagues uh, over the years. So uh, when I went to graduate school, I had a great professor. Um, I mean, I, I don't know if he's still alive. His name is Professor Hans Tomheim. And he just, first of all, he had this exuberance and excitement about project management. And he just made it very accessible and understandable. It very, became a, a very clear methodology. And I, I, you know, of course, I wanted to learn about this and a uh, great time to be able to do it in graduate school. And so he was one of my, uh, I'd say, one of the people that inspired me. And I kept in touch with him um, when I was uh, my last position one of the previous positions, I reached out to him and had a chance to do an interview with him uh, that uh, I think was published at some point. So, you know, and, you know, I, I, uh, I would say that um, a lot of the other folks that I've learned, that I've worked with uh, and people I listen to on podcasts and so forth uh, have been, I would say, insp- inspirational uh, in the work that I've done. So then taking that, how, how would you like to inspire and, and influence emergency managers to either get some formal project management training, or um, I have a good friend of mine who sort of has taught himself project management, and he's 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 actually influenced me uh, on on how to do how to use project management to uh, to get things done, uh, which I, I I really embrace. Uh, why you know, but back to that why, right? Why should emergency managers embrace project management? Well. There's a couple of things. One is, and I should just state, there's there's different ways to practice project management. There's what I would consider standard project management, which is that which is espoused mostly by the Project Management Institute, you know, in their project management body of knowledge, which you know is is sort of the tome on sort of standard projects and how to how their uh, how the the better practices on that. Uh, there's agile project management. Which you know uses uh, you know there's there's various ways of of agile project management which is more IT based or or or, or let's say software development type based um, and then there's uh, others you know that are out there uh, critical chain project management and so forth um, you know and I what I would just say is preface uh, what I would say is just use the methodology that makes the most sense for the type of project that you're going to be implementing. If you're going to be implementing, let's say, a software development project or an application development for an emergency management or business continuity program, then perhaps Agile might be most appropriate. But if it's um, something where you have a defined scope or it's been done before and there's, you know, let's say fewer types of um, differences or, or unique aspects to it, then perhaps a standard approach might be more suitable. The other thing you need to take into consideration is the time and the, you know, sort of the framework in which you're working with, with your stakeholders. Um, but I, what I would say is, um, you know, how are you going to do this? In other words, if you're going to, uh, let's say, implement a, an exercise or develop a training or develop a new plan, um, and you're going to engage stakeholders, then look at what methods and tools are available to you, you know, and, you know, not all of them have to be applied, right? 
but um, you know, apply what makes sense to you. So it's like, you know, in, in, in I, the comparison I make is to building a house. If you go and build a house, okay, you're not just gonna start building, you know, I'm gonna start excavating and I'm gonna start laying my foundation. You're going to come up with some sort of blueprint and get an idea of the type of house that you're gonna want and make sure that all the different uh, elements that make up that house are gonna work well together so that when you finish it, that it meets with what your expectations are. And essentially the same thing holds true when it comes to uh, building out an emergency management program, be it an exercise, training, uh, plan, and so forth, is that you want to understand what that vision is and define that as clearly as you can. Make sure you manage the stakeholder expectations, be them either clients, your vendors, your team members, uh, you know, the, the champion of the project, the sponsor, and so forth. Um, and, you know, make sure that, that all of that is met and, uh, and done within those, the triple constraint of what we, what we typically call sort of those, the, the, the sort of framework of, of project management. So, um, and I, I think Benjamin has stated here, a lot of people in emergency management, not all, but there are a, a good number who come into it from another area, another discipline. Some of them come up through EMS or fire or police or some of them don't, you know, a lot of them, we, we talked about this, right? A lot of EMs are not coming from some of that. Some of them have you know, lights and sirens type of response, but from other disciplines, um, some of them coming from graduate programs and things like that with different types of experiences. And they may not have uh, a project management understanding. So this is something that they can learn and do. And, you know, to what Michael had said, you know, you learn by doing, but I think having some basis of, of, of context for it and having some support and guidance can really go a long way in helping you uh, perform better in that role and be able to develop and execute a project. So for people that are looking to, to increase their skills, right. And whether it's for through formal training or, or whatnot, where, where can they learn more about project management and how to really implement it into emergency management? Well, I uh, so I should just mention, and this is this is I guess my my shameless plug. Uh, I, I will be coming out with a book on project management for emergency managers and uh, and public safety uh, in the summertime, uh, either either summer or early fall. Uh, it'll be published by Routledge Press. Um, it's going to be called "Riding the Wave: Project Management for Emergency Managers." And uh, that will address, I think, some of the, the needs that are there. Uh, there will be some additional resources. Um, I do have uh, a podcast um, also called Riding the Wave, which is available on a number of different uh, streaming platforms for individuals who want to learn a little bit more. We don't just focus on specifically, you know, the sort of nuts and bolts of everything, but we talk about different aspects of, of um the application of project management to emergencies and different aspects and that relate to it and, and so forth. Um, I think that, you know, just also picking up a, a good, a good general book uh, on project management, um, you know, watching some just basic videos and, and uh, getting an, an idea of the concepts. And I think, you know, to, to our original point is starting to practice some of these things. Um, a close colleague of mine once said, Project management is not rocket science. It is uh, a very common sense, uh, sensible approach to how to, uh, you know, frame and understand 
how to look at projects and how to develop and, 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 and plan and execute them. Um, but uh, to be effective at project management requires uncommon discipline to do that. And I think that it, it's, it's that uncommon discipline and that level of, of really, I'd say, um, deep thinking and consideration for how to apply these things that makes the difference there, you know. Um, and I, and I, I can get back to the idea that, um, you know, it's, uh, it's, there is a multidisciplinary aspect to that, that is incorporated within project management. So there's, there's risk management, there's quality management, there's procurement, there's human resources, there's communication. And so all that's bundled together. And it comes from some of these other disciplines, which is kind of, which is interesting, right? So when you apply it, um, you know, if you look at risk management and quality management, in a way, somehow these are sort of two things that are, in somewhat the two sides of an of a coin, of the same coin, so to speak. So you know, having to sort of operate and manage that um, is is sort of is that balancing act. So um, you know, hope I didn't get too off track with with my answer there. No, 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 absolutely not. I mean, I, I know that uh, I, I joke all the time. You know, once we start getting sometimes uh the on the academic side of things we can get really for me i can get really wonky and stuff and uh, yeah. i actually enjoy these conversations you know but i think it's important for for us to really understand you know when i say us the the community of emergency managers that what we're talking about here is, is critical to having uh, a well put together projects that's what we call them right when we're when we're doing recovery um so we can really serve our our populations, the people who are responsible for, because without doing this, I mean, you, you're actually leaving money on the table um, for the recovery for your for your community, you know. And you, I, I implore you guys to to go out and really embrace this concept of project management, specifically, even if you don't. I'm going to tell you guys right now, even if you don't think you're doing it, you're doing it already. Right. And like Xander did when he was a young guy, you know, out in the in Bosnia, uh, learning um, project management the hard way. Right. Uh, having that stuff and those skill sets um, in front. And as Benjamin says, in his opinion, that emergency managers need to understand the use of project management. Right. Those are critical. Right. Because that's what we do at the end of the day. We're, we're, we're managing projects. Um, and to not have that skill, you're really doing yourself a, dis uh, a disservice. You're doing the community a disservice. And, and if you want to move up in a career, uh, and managing major, major, major events and major projects, you, you need to have these skills. So Andrew, I know we're at the end of the day today. I want to give, give you one last chance to, to plug your, your, um, your consulting firm and how people can find you. Yeah, um, so uh, people can find me on the web. Um, I'm on LinkedIn. Um, I know there are a few other Andrew Boyarskis in the world. Um, I actually happen to know a few of them, and not personally, but we, you know, we've been mistaken for each other at various times. But um, you can find me if, if you do a quick search for Andrew Boyarsky and emergency management. I'm also uh, I do have a website for my company. Uh, it's at a very long URL. But if you type it out, all is one word. It's you will find it. It's pinnaclepersonmanagement.com. Uh, and um, if you reach out to me, uh, you know you can email me. My contact information is there. Uh, I'm happy to respond uh, to any questions or inquiries that you have there. Um, but one thing, I, you know, just one thing I do want to say, and that is, um, it, it's uh, that with and you stated that in recovery. 
that, you know, recovery is a really fraught area when it comes to emergency management, you know, and we see that now, right? We're living it now in the pandemic. You know, we're talking about how do we get ourselves, how do we recover to get out of this situation? Uh, and this is, a, it's, it's, it's extremely, you know, it's, it's, it's complicated and we know it's long duration, right? And that's typical of a lot of different, you know, emergency environments, right? Um, Post-disaster environments. And uh, it's, it's not a, it's, it's not as if we're going to find that one solution that's going to help us do that. Um, and I think that, you know, the tools of project management, you know, we, if we break things down right into their constituent parts, we can start to understand how it integrates with the whole and to be able to sort of chip away at the problem bit by bit. You know, um, you look at all the recovery efforts that have happened, you know, after tornadoes or hurricanes or, uh, or wildfires, earthquakes and so forth. Uh, you know, they're, these are these have been studied in terms what 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 enhances that recovery effort. There are a lot of there's a lot of social research has gone into it, um, and and but part of that is if you look at it, it is a strong project management method. The recovery from the nine one one event that hit the Capitol, that project actually won an award because it was so well executed and it was done. Uh, they actually finished it ahead of time. Now. That was a little bit more discreet in terms of its jurisdiction and the resources and so forth. Uh, but you compare that to the World Trade Center, and that, w- that took many more years than anyone had sort of predicted. You know, there was a lot that, again, the complexities were there. It was not just a recovery effort in terms of recovering the building, but uh, it was a crime scene, right? right. And so there were th- those issues to deal with. Um, and, you know, not to say that, you know, it's you're going to be able to, throw some project management magic dust over the situation and, you know, solve the problem. But that type of, of approach uh, can be effective in terms of managing the multiple stakeholders and issues that come come at you. Absolutely, Andrew. All right, we can talk about this all day, but we're hitting the hard stop. And I, I would like to, uh, well, first of all, congratulations on the book. Um, I'm looking forward to when it comes out. Um, maybe when we get it out there, we can get you back on, talk a little bit more about the book and, and, and how we can reach that. it. Everybody, please reach out, reach out to Andrew. He's a very, 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 very smart guy on this stuff and uh, more than happy to help you out on, on project management. And like I said, we need to do more of this uh, for emergency managers. Hey, everybody, thank you so much for listening to the show today. I do appreciate it. And I wanted to also talk about one thing really quick. We have built a place for emergency managers to grow. It's built by emergency managers for emergency managers, and we call it the Crisis Cafe. So please join the Crisis Cafe. It's crisis-cafe.com. Go over there. uh, Join up there. There's a free version of it. And, of course, there's also um, some other additional stuff that you can help over there. And you know what? You may become a member. You also have access to discounts on different things as well. So there's a value there as well. So if you like what we're doing here, please follow us on your favorite podcast player and hit that five stars and leave a comment for us to tell your friends who we are and what we're doing. And don't forget, join us with EM Weekly Business Continuity Today, EM Student and Prepare, Respond, Recover. We have a lot of stuff going on over here at this EM Suites. And uh, thank you for being with us today. Remember that uh, to stay, stay safe, stay clean, stay hydrated. 